Anyway, let's get ready to jump into Romans chapter 8. Tom Flick was a rookie NFL quarterback when he was pressed into service because of an injury to his team's starter. And Tom says as he trotted out to the huddle for the very first time, he was suddenly struck with fear because of this thought. I'm playing in the National Football League. And, and it didn't help the fact that that particular Sunday they were playing against the Chicago Bears. Oh, we got some Chicago fans. All right. We'll see you in the Super Bowl. Anyway, um, or maybe not. Anyway. As Tom lined up under center and got ready to take his first snap, behind the defensive line, a head popped up with very strong, beady-looking eyes. It was Mike Singletary, a feared linebacker. In my opinion, the best linebacker that's ever played the game. And in a matter of seconds, he asked a simple question to Tom Flick that completely freaked this young quarterback out. Here was the question, who are you? Who are you? And I have no idea what happened in Flick's mind, but I'm sure it was something along the lines of, I'm a rookie, I'm a sorry excuse for a human being, and I apologize for being on your field, Mr. Singletary. Please don't kill me, sir. Something like that. The question, who are you, elicits a lot of different responses. I'm standing in line at a security checkpoint. Coming home one day, I was preaching at Central Christian Church in Las Vegas. I walked up to the security officer, handed my ID, and she looked at it and she goes, who are you? Like, uh, I'm Grant Fishbook. She goes, and? And I'm going home? Um, <laughs> she looked at it again. She goes, I didn't ask you where you were going. I asked, who are you? Like, um, I'm Grant Fishbook. She says, that's it? And I figure, you know what, lady, if you're going to open the door, I'm going to walk right through it. So I just said, no, I'm Grant Fishbook, husband of Laurel, father to Braden and McKenna, resident of Linden, Washington, friend to many, pastor to more, connoisseur of hazelnut mochas, lover of football, amateur runner. She goes, you can stop now. I get it. <laughs> just like, I love that question. And it's been kind of rippling underneath our entire series in Romans 1 through 8. Who are you? Now, before we started this series, I know for the, the believers in the room, you probably would have had a, a pretty much stock answer. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. We heard it last week. Paul said it. What a wretched man I am. But I implored us as a church, don't stop reading Romans in chapter 7, verse 24. You got to go all the way through. Paul said, what a wretched man I am, but finish the verse. He said, who will rescue me from this body of death? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So according to Romans 6, 7, and 8, I am not merely a broken sinner. And in Romans 8, he's going to unpack that even more because he talks about life through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to declare our new identity in Jesus. So this weekend, I'm going to make 15 identity declarations that come and have popped up all the way through our journey through the switch. And we're going to summarize all of Romans chapter 8. So let me start by saying this. Because I am dead to sin, because Jesus Christ lives in me. Because Jesus broke the power of sin and death. Because Jesus wants to transform my life. Because the Holy Spirit of life, as Romans 8 calls him, is empowering me. I can make the following declarations. Be ready, we got a lot of words this morning. I am free. Romans 8 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I love those verses. It says there's no condemnation, which means this. When God looks at me, he doesn't see an abject failure. Instead, he looks at me through the lens of Jesus and he sees me as a dearly loved child. He sees me as a free man. 
The Bible says it's for freedom that Jesus has set us free. So if I am free, I should probably live as if I am free. I'm no longer bound to my old way of life, and I should be free to live a new way of life. The reality is this. Before I met Jesus, I used to live life scared. Scared of failure, scared of death. And if I was honest, I was scared of living. But I'll tell you what, it's a different story since Jesus showed up. That's what makes Christians weird. We're not afraid of death anymore. Because the Bible says to be absent from the body is an upgrade if you are a follower of Christ. I am free. Number two, I am aligned. Romans 8, 5, and 6. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. When I'm in alignment with the Holy Spirit, I want what the Holy Spirit wants, and I don't want what the Holy Spirit doesn't want. And can I tell you exactly what the Holy Spirit wants for you today? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and don't forget number nine, self control. And when we live in alignment with the Holy Spirit, there are byproducts. And the byproducts, Scripture says, are life and peace. When I set my mind on things above, which is where the Spirit wants them to be, I'm in alignment with the Spirit, and in that moment, I have life and peace. Let's keep going. I am controlled. Romans 8, 9. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. Famous verse about the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery and also leads to hanging out in Laurel Park, ripping down stop signs, throwing bottles at peace officers, and getting your butt hauled off to jail. My translation of scripture, amen. Let's keep going. <laughs> Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That little Greek term there, to be filled, is plerustha. Like that, all right? Plerusta means to be filled, to be controlled, to be intoxicated, to be permeated, to be thoroughly influenced. Plerusta means to be overcome by a power greater than yourself. I asked a question last night, got a reaction, let me ask it again. If beer is a greater power than you, what does that say about you? Just ask. The Bible says we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a glove. Okay? If you got it right, 10 points for you. All right? This is a glove. On its own, a glove can do nothing. But when it's filled with my hand, it's a completely different story. That it, it works and is willed by the hand that is completely filling the inside of it. It's completely, doesn't look like it, but this glove is drunk with power knowing that there's a greater power looking after it. In the same way, the Holy Spirit comes into you and totally permeates you. I mean, the glove is filled and now it's useful because it's being controlled by a power greater than itself. Life in the Spirit, according to Romans 8, means I am controlled. I'm not in control of anything. Neither are you. Don't believe me? Wait till Monday, all right? Can't control anything. Not in control, but that's okay because Romans 8 says God most certainly is. Let's keep going. I am led. Romans 8, 13. 
For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, you can say this. I'm led by the Spirit of God, which means I live under one banner. Where he leads, I follow. Wherever he goes, I go. I tried for 18 years to lead myself. You know where I ended up? Lost. That's where I ended up. I needed someone to lead me. I needed someone who knew everything, someone who could do anything, someone who could go anywhere. I needed someone to lead me. Romans 8 asks the question, are you leading you or are you being led by Jesus? Let's keep going. I am confident. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Paul saying, I'm confident here. I'm confident that God is able, that God is powerful, and that God is love. And that's good because perfect love casts out all fear. Paul saying, I'm confident in all things that he is more than able. Christian, let me ask you a question. Why does it seem like the people of God are the most filled with fear kind of people around? Man, we're worried about this, and we're worried about that, and we're worried about this, and we're worried about that. And just like, I don't know what God's going to do, and there might be a tsunami, and I'm just, blah, 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 thank you, Chicken Little. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Where's your confidence? I've learned this to be true. In times of great fear, people who are afraid gravitate towards people who are not afraid. And if you have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God Almighty himself, for you, what in the world are you afraid of? I mean, if the whole thing comes crashing down tomorrow, we're out of here. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, that's a good thing, right? Second Timothy says, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Which means as a believer, we get to say, I have no confidence in this man. I've got great confidence in the man. Amen? Let's keep going. Jesus said, I am adopted. Verse 15 again. But you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Whenever somebody tells me they're adopted, it's amazing that they almost seem ashamed of that fact. I don't know why that is. I got a friend who's adopted. He said this to me one time. He said, I'm adopted. He said, your parents were stuck with you. He said, my parents, they chose me. That's a good thing, right? The Bible says we're all orphans, abandoned and without hope. But God the Father showed up and he just started picking people. I'll take Terry, I'll take Amy, I'll take Ryan, I'll take Randy, I'll take Margaret, I'll take Jim, I'll take Phil. Come on, family. We're not abandoned without hope. We've been adopted. The Bible says, I am secure. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. In the natural, I'm a child of Ernie and Shirley Fishbook. That gives me a certain amount of security. But more important than that, Romans 8 says, I'm a child of the most high God. He's my father. I'm his son. He loves me. Even when I don't deserve it, he loves me. Funny thing about my kids, Braden and McKenna. When they, when they get it right, I love them. When they get it wrong, I love them. Because I'm their dad. That's the way it works. The Bible says we're family. And we're secure in that identity. He gave it to me. Jesus said, I am a child of the Most High God. And nobody in this room can take that away. Let's keep going. I am identified 
Romans 8, 17. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So here's the deal. When Ernie and Shirley go home to heaven, kick the bucket, take a dirt nap, whatever you want to call it, okay? When that happens, I'm a co-heir with my sister Karen for their inheritance unless my parents spend it all first. Ernie and Shirley, if you're watching on the internet, two words for you. Spend it. Spend it, okay? Children, you should be saying that to your parents. Spend it. Spend it all so that the last check you write is to the undertaker and that one should bounce, all right? So, <laughs> just saying. I've had a lot of coffee, okay? So, because I'm a child of God, I'm a joint heir with his son. Do you get that? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. All that is our Father's will be ours. We have nothing to worry about. The Bible says, my God will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory. I mean, I'm a co-heir with Jesus. And here's really good news on a Sunday morning. My heavenly Father is loaded. <laughs> and he says, I want to give it all to you. Not this temporary earth stuff that's just going to rust and people are going to fight over. I want to give you the riches of eternity. Let's keep going. I'm connected. Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Halfway through the 1137 service this morning, I'm going to run out of words. I know I am. Have you ever been there when you're praying? You just kind of run out of words? Scripture says it's not a bad place to be. In fact, the Bible says it's a good place to be. Because in those moments, the Spirit prays on our behalf. He knows our heart. He knows our requests. He knows our tears. He knows our pain. He knows the requests that we can't even make words out of. The Bible says in those moments, the Holy Spirit prays. He is the vine, we are the branches, we are completely connected in that moment. One of my closest friends in the world is Dwayne Gertzen. I love Dwayne. He pastors Maple Ridge Community Church across the line in Canada. We went to college together. I stood up in Dwayne's wedding party. He stood up in mine. Six weeks ago, we got this little prayer thing that said, would you please pray for Jesse? Jesse's his 17-year-old son. He's the same age as my daughter, McKenna. And he said, uh, Jesse's been battling with headaches. He played football. I think he may have a concussion. Can you just pray for him? He's not feeling well at all. So they went in, did a scan, and found a brain tumor. And on Friday, Laurel and I went up to Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster, and we got to pray with Jesse. But I mean, I walked around the corner, and here's my friend Dwayne. We didn't have to say anything. Just tears. Pain. We prayed with Dwayne, prayed with Jesse, got in the car, and you know what? Laurel and I didn't say much of anything for about half an hour. Didn't need to. Romans 8 tells me in those moments when I didn't know what else to pray, that my prayers were actually perfect because the Holy Spirit was praying them for me. And He cares more about Jesse than I ever could. And He wants a miracle for Jesse more than I do. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit takes over for us when we are connected. 
And I'd love it if you'd pray for Jesse too. Let's keep going. I'm purposed. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Be careful with that verse. We put it on t-shirts. All things work together for good. There's two conditions attached to that verse, my friends. All things do work together for good if you love him and are called according to his purpose. So if you don't love him and you're not called according to his purpose, it may not go so well for you. I mean, you could say, God's going to work this out for good, but if you're doing something that God hates, I think you can do that math on your own. It's not going to go well for you at all. If you don't love him, there's no guarantee it's going to work for good or that it's going to be purposeful. If you don't know what your purpose should be, start with the purpose of Jesus. He said, Jesus came, I came to seek and save the lost. Start there. Years ago, I made a kind of a life mission statement that I carry around with me in my Bible. My life mission, my life purpose is to instill in every human being that I meet the simple truth that God believes they were worth it. You were worth it. You were worth the pain of crucifixion. You were worth the one who was perfect in nature, Jesus taking sin on himself. You were worth it. And God will never give up on convincing you that you were worth it. Let's keep going. I am directed. Romans 8.30, and those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. When people ask us, Grant, where are we going? I'm like always in the same direction, the direction of the cross. It was there that Jesus took my sin and justified me so that I can stand before God and hear a two-word declaration that I don't deserve but I love. Grant Fishbook is not guilty. Not guilty. And the enemy comes and he throws accusations and says, yeah, but I remember what you did in your high school year. I remember you, your sophomore year in college. I remember that pile of garbage that you created out of your life. And God, in that moment, looks at me and he doesn't see my sin. Instead, Jesus comes and stands in front of me and he becomes that beautiful blockage in that moment. And, and, and God the Father looks at Jesus' perfect record and he f- chooses to forget my imperfect record. And he looks at the son that he knows is Grant and he declares that over me. Not guilty. Let's keep going. I'm empowered. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I love that verse because it forces a question. What could possibly come against me this week that Jesus can't handle? We get the question all wrong, right? We look at it and say, what is it that's going to come into my life this week that I can't handle? Hey, newsflash for everybody. You can't handle anything. You can't handle Monday. You most certainly can't handle Tuesday. Don't even think about getting to Wednesday. We can't handle anything. It's not the right question. The question is, what could possibly come against me that Jesus can't handle? We've been learning this the whole series. It's not us. It's Christ in us. And Jesus can handle anything. So I have no reason to fear Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. That verse is a year's worth of messages. Let me sum it up for you. He's for you. For you. Let's keep going. I am humbled. I don't know how you cannot be and read Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? We learned in Romans chapter 6, we deserve death. 
We learn in Romans 7, we deserve nothing of earthly value, but God, in his infinite love, gave Jesus up for us all and longs to graciously give us good things. Not temporary, earthly, soon-to-be-rusty garbage. No, he wants us to have the eternal, the valuable, the priceless. Let's keep going. I'm saturated. Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Paul's saying, I'm saturated in the love of God. It's like God's placed me in there to marinate in it. There's no separation. Let's be honest with that verse. It's really easy to read. That's really tough to live. Because let's be honest, if any of these things showed up in your week this coming six days, if any of these qualifiers showed up, I wonder, would you really be thanking God all the way or would you be questioning God's love? Let's go back through the list. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, being buck naked, danger, and the threat of violence. Can we just be honest? If any one of those things happened in my Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, what would I be questioning? I'd be questioning God's love. Don't you love me, God? I mean, good grief. This past Monday, I pull into the parking lot. I'm on my way to a preaching class. I get out of my vehicle, and I hear a waterfall under my vehicle. I look underneath. Sure enough, I got fluid flying everywhere. And what's the first thing I question? Don't you love me, God? Seriously? I preached four times on the weekend, and then I went out and did this social thing. I mean, I actually hung out with people, and I don't like people because I'm an introvert. I mean, and now I show up, and I'm here to do this preaching class and talk, teaching young guys how to preach and all the kind of stuff. And that's what you do to my water pump? Really, God? I'm not even sure you can call that trouble. I mean, let's be honest. We question God's love if our coffee is 174 degrees, right? Don't you love me, Jesus? Like... And the Bible says even when I have that flimsy perspective, that even that doesn't disqualify me from God's love. In God a patient Father. Isn't he an amazingly loving, patient dad? Let's keep going. Last one. I am convinced. The Bible says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody said amen. Thank you. How do you not read that and say something? I mean, the Bible says we are conquerors. Anybody else not felt like a conqueror lately? <laughs> right? My goodness. But the Bible says, I am. Jesus said so. The truth is, I don't often feel like a conqueror because I often grieve the Holy Spirit when I reject His filling and do my own thing. The Bible uses an interesting word, quench the Spirit. 
You know, the truth is, uh, we think quench in good terms, right? When we take a, a cold drink of water on a long, hot day, our thirst, our thirst is quenched. It's good. Paul's talking about a different kind of quenching. It's when you take a great big bucket of cold water and you pour it on top of a fire and it's gone. I hear this every once in a while. People show up and say, oh, Grant, you know, man, that, oh, at the end of the service, you man, you should have played the... Somebody should have played the piano quietly. We should have sung like 14 verses of Just As I Am. and Got everybody up at the front, you know, made them all cry. And, but you fired up the band again and you quenched the spirit. You know, sometimes you're probably right. Sometimes. The truth is, it's not just pastors that quench the spirit. Some of you in the room right now, the Holy Spirit is tapping you on the shoulder saying, you know that person that hurt you 15 years ago? You need to forgive him because the truth is you're in a prison of bitterness and the only person that's hurting is you and the Holy Spirit loves you so much he wants to set you free from that. So I want you to forgive that person right now. We say, no, you just quench the Spirit. You just shut him down. So the Holy Spirit follows you into the parking lot, keeps tapping you, saying, no, you need to understand. I want to set you free. You're dead to sin. You don't need to carry that garbage anymore. You need to stop carrying around that body of death. It needs to go. Forgive. No. Quenched. And we've already crossed from preaching to meddling, so let's go all the way in. The Bible says you should give generously because that's how Jesus gave. Totally, completely with a reckless abandon and the Holy Spirit taps us and says you have been blessed to be a blessing give generously and we're just like no quenched my email is grantf at ctkbellingham.com if you want to write me a letter of complaint be my guest there you go <laughs> people often debate when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Good Bible-believing Christians say that you're filled with the Holy Spirit the instant you give your heart to Christ. And they've got Bible verses to back it up. That's awesome. There are other people in this room that if that's your position, they would not agree with you. They believe there's a second experience. So the laying on of hands, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Boom, it happens right then. I don't care. My question is, are you filled? Has the Holy Spirit so filled you that you're intoxicated with His presence? If Dr. E.V. Hill would say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you get filled. Just get filled. Just get filled. Turn it on. Get filled. Let's go. Stop your excuses. Open up your heart and get filled. Someday I'll preach like Dr. Hill. <laughs> you filled right now. Some of you are like, I don't know. Let's go through them again. Are you free? Are you aligned? Are you controlled? Are you led? Are you confident? Are you adopted? Are you secure? Are you identified? Are you connected? Are you purposed? Are you directed? Are you empowered? 
Are you humbled? Are you saturated? Are you absolutely convinced you can be? Not through the power of your I am statements, but through the power of the statements of the great I am. That's what Romans 8 is about. You know, somebody asked me last week, said, Grant, could you just, before you move on, because we are, we're going to move on next week. I'm going to just tell a bunch of Jesus stories through November. Make sure you don't miss Rome, uh, November 16th and 17th. My 17-year-old daughter is going to preach with me that weekend. I'm so excited about it. It's going to be awesome. She said, could, we, could, just, could you get super, super practical with us? Okay, so it's as simple as this. We have those moments when in Romans 6 we realize that we are dead to sin. We've lost our taste for it. Last week we learned in Romans 7 that, that we want the Holy Spirit of God to come and infect us with his goodness. And yet evil's right there with us, right? Chirping in our, chirping in our, in our ear. And we learned last week, Romans 7 says, we're not, we don't just invite Jesus to be a passive co-pilot. You know what my paycheck was last week? Two different people tore off the God is my co-pilot bumper sticker from their car and put it on my desk. That's my paycheck. God is not interested in being your co-pilot. He wants your plane, the controls, the headset. He's in charge of the airspeed. you got to hand it over. That's what God wants. Not interested in sitting passively by. So Romans 7 said, we don't, that's not what we do. No, we abdicate the throne. We give him the controls. We humble ourselves before him, and we are never higher than his feet. But we know what it's like when evil starts chirping, right? That's what's going to happen. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. I wonder if our lives would be revolutionized if we would simply stop. Let's just stop and acknowledge. It's not me. It's Christ in me. Evil's right here with me. I know. There you are. But it's not me anymore. It's Christ in me. Stop and pause just for a second. Why would I go back to what I know is empty? Why would I return and fill my mind with things that I've worked all week on and taking every thought captive? Why would I do what I know Jesus hates? Stop, pause, then declare, I'm led by the Holy Spirit of God. I am convinced nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Savior. I am a conqueror even when I don't feel like it. So I make those declarations. And what if we just stopped and paused and declared in that moment and then simply prayed, Jesus, Holy Spirit, God the Father, Christ in me, allow me to resist the devil. Because your word says, if I resist in your strength, he will flee. It's your homework for Monday. I love Mondays. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the identity of knowing Jesus. Thank you for the encouragement, power, and comfort of the Holy Spirit. Lord, would you come in this moment now as we turn our attention to simply worshiping you. Would you come? Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Would you fill every heart, every corner, 
every note, every word. And we will give you all of the praise and all the glory and all God's people say. Amen.